Good morning. It's good to see you all. Uh, for those of you who uh, are maybe new or visiting, uh, uh, welcome to you. We're glad that you're here worshiping with us this morning. We, um, one of our core values here at Terra Nova Church is, is to be Christocentric. That means Christ-centered in all that we do. Um, so from, from the worship to the teaching to fellowship, we try to, we try to be about one thing, and that's Jesus and his life and ministry. And we want to we learn more about him so that we can leave here, as Reuben said, changed as people that have met with a living and active God who speaks to us through his Holy Spirit and speaks to us through his word. Um, also, as Reuben mentioned, we, uh, we have about 27 of our ladies here from Terranova Church at Christ the King Retreat Center for their annual women's retreat. Uh, and so they're in, a, in their morning session this morning. And so I just want to take like 30 seconds, to just if we could all quiet our hearts, and, um, and just pray for that. I think um, something that was so impactful for me um, on the men's retreat a couple weeks ago was how we really, we, 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 we are trying to be, and we, we said we are going to and we are still trying to be, um, really sure that when we heard the Lord that we were going to take that home with us and that we were con- going to continue on in the good work that the Lord started in us and that we, that we would be accountable to each other, to what the Lord did and how we experienced his power. And so I want to pray that for the ladies, that this wouldn't just be like a really nice weekend. We hope it's a nice weekend. I'm sure it is. Um, but we want to have it more than just a nice weekend, but something that really foundationally changes their walks with Jesus. Okay, so let's just take 20 seconds, we'll pray, and I'll say amen, but let's lift our ladies up for for a couple seconds here. Amen. All right, and any fathers out there, make sure the house is, you know, at least a little bit clean when she comes home. <laughs> I'm going to do my best at that this afternoon. Okay, so uh, we are in Matthew today. We are in uh, chapter 22. If you want to get your Bibles out or the pew Bibles in front of you, you want to look at Matthew 22. We're going to be in verses 23 to 33. Um, I worked really hard on some great slides this week, but for some reason they deleted uh, on me this morning. So um, I will kind of help you. For those of you who are writers and journalers, I'll try to kind of help you. Uh, if you have some things that you'd like to jot down, I will help guide you in that. Today we're going to look at an exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders. Now, if you've been traveling along with us in the book of Matthew, this is like a- another one, right? We've seen this time and time and time again. Um, but what's interesting about this passage is it's almost, we, we, we're almost witnessing some ancient Near East satire here from the Sadducees. They're actually trying to make fun of Jesus. They're trying to set him up for kind of an impossible, silly situation, which they're trying to corner him in to saying the wrong thing. But we'll see that Jesus doesn't look foolish, okay? Ultimately, the Sadducees do. But I want us to be careful, okay, how much we look down upon those in these stories that are the subject of scorn or correction, lest we become complacent in our own shortcomings and our own nearsightedness. So the target of correction here are the Sadducees, but let's not 
kick him to the curb too quickly. We're going to read this story and, and, uh, and, and understand it better together, but I just warn you this morning, there's some, there some fun, interesting tidbits today, but we want to go further than that. We want to go more than knowledge. We want to go further than information, because the Sadducees were all about knowledge and information, but they lacked the faith and belief in the power of God to actually move forward with their message. Okay, so let's not be people with facts and figures. Let's be people that can be foundationally changed. As Romans 12, 2 says, um, Paul calls us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that happens by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is here this morning speaking through his word. So let, us, uh, let me pray uh, for us as we dive into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak through me this morning, that these wouldn't be my words, but that that would be um, your spirit coming through my words. And, and I pray that we would, we would understand you better and we would understand how to live more like Jesus. Transform us, Lord. Help us to learn. Help us to be humble enough for correction um, and help us to have faith and resolve to take truth to a dark world and minister to people that need the gospel. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, so the main characters in this story are the Sadducees. We've met the Pharisees. Today we're going to meet the Sadducees more, uh, a little bit deeper, okay? This is a religio-political group. Is that a word? I think it is. Religio-political? You get the idea. They're, they're a religious and political group that held a, um, in the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling body of, of the Jewish temple, they held a 70-seat majority, majority. They were known for having high positions of power. They were known for their wealth. They were also known for being Roman sympathizers. So they really cozied up with the leadership of Rome so that they could, um, in, in, you know, uh, influence their own careers and their own money and their own compensation because they were compensated well for being kind of partners with Rome. Now, being wealthy, they could influence politics, they could influence the religion of the day, um, and, and they were kind of seen as others because they were so wealthy and had such high positions of power. Actually, the Pharisees were more on a level playing field with common folk. All right, so think about, I don't know, maybe this isn't a great example, but think about like Hollywood elites, okay? A lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them kind of live lives that that are so different than our own, and they probably can't really understand what a day-to-day life is for you and I here. Um, But because of their wealth and because of their high positions of social power, often we see uh, Hollywood elites dabbling in politics and other things. Um, so that's kind of who the Sadducees are today. Now, it's really interesting, though. Religiously, they were actually in the minority, okay? Their religious beliefs were actually in the minority. Most people didn't square with the Sadducees' um, uh, opinions and theology on Scripture. Um, Three things they did not believe. They did not believe in the resurrection, as we will read about today. They denied God's involvement in everyday life. So in other words, they they didn't have a high view of God's sovereignty. And three, they denied the spiritual world. They didn't believe in heaven, angels, demons, etc., etc., etc. So you'll see some of that stuff at play this morning with how they questioned Jesus. So 
the way they question Jesus is kind of like if, if, you are a very, if you were a very insensitive omnivore talking to, uh, pandering to a vegetarian, uh, talking to them about why they don't eat meat while you're eating a hot dog, okay? This is kind of the gross, uh, the, kind of the overdone um, conversation that the Sadducees are having with Jesus. So let's get into it and read. So this is Matthew 22, 23 through 33. Here we go. The same day the Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, he left his wife to his brother. So to the second and the third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. Verse 28. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. For the resurrection, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what it was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. All right, so a couple big ideas for us if you're journaling, you want to jot these down. A couple big ideas for us this morning is, number one, the Sadducees are wrong because they lacked faith in the scriptures to point to the power of God. Two, as we live, as we insert ourselves into the story, as as we live as Christ followers, we are to live lives of faith that trust in the scriptures, that call us to live for this life now while living for the life to come. Okay, so two very different takeaways from this story. So knowing a little bit about the Sadducees here kind of helps understand his, uh, kind of understand the tone of the conversation. And in short, it's speculative to a degree, of course, but even the famous Jewish historian Josephus is quoted as saying the Sadducees were rude, arrogant, power-hungry, and quick to dispute with those who disagreed with them. Interesting quote from ancient uh, um, historian Josephus. So this is definitely an attack on Jesus. This is not an opportunity to learn. I don't see this as a very honest question. The gospel author, Matthew, okay, even says, even, even prefaces what he's about to say with the Sadducees who say there's no resurrection. Okay, so we, we really are set up to understand what, this, what kind of they're going for here. But Jesus does not fall prey to their deceitfulness, nor does he fight back. What Jesus does here is he swiftly points out their errors and exposes their hearts. And he does this artfully. Jesus in verse 29 says, you are wrong. They were wrong about two things. The first thing they were wrong about was the resurrection. They believed there was no resurrection. Jesus says, you're wrong. The second thing they were wrong about is they were wrong about the purpose of marriage. 
They had a very wrong and warped view on marriage. Now Jesus says they're wrong, but then Jesus goes on to tell us why they're wrong. They don't know the scriptures, and they don't know the power of God. So let's briefly look a little bit deeper at the things they were wrong on, because I think they have some really, really important implications underneath the text here. So we'll start with the resurrection. They were wrong about the resurrection. The Sadducees, as I mentioned, had a very low view of God and his sovereignty. No wonder they didn't believe in the resurrection. As Jesus said, they, they didn't understand the scriptures correctly. They didn't believe in the power of God. Interestingly, though, these guys were the keepers of truth, weren't they? They were teachers. They, their one gig was to, well, they had a few things, uh, obviously, but primarily was to teach the Bible. Okay? But Jesus says, you guys are the keepers of the scriptures. And when Jesus says, have you heard it? Have you heard the scripture? He was kind of pandering back to them. He was, he was quoting them Exodus 3.6, which says, I am the God of Isaac, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob. It doesn't say in Exodus 3.6, I was the God, or they once were my children, but it says, I am, as in a present reality. Jesus corrects the Sadducees' wrong view of Scripture by reading Scripture back to them and showing them that, that their, their hearts were unable to understand what it meant. They knew it by heart, but their hearts weren't changed by it. Jesus says that he is the God, he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. The Sadducees missed this because they were a group more concerned with their current political and financial and social standings. They were more concerned with that than concerning themselves with, with things like people rising from the dead or, or a new world to come. Their heads and their hearts were only in this world, this temporary world. They, they did not understand the scriptures because they didn't view God correctly and they didn't see Jesus for who he was either. They had no time for the power of God because they had all the time in the world for their own power. Now, the Sadducees probably weren't all horrible people. Probably not, okay? And it's, it, it, it's easy to make a caricature out of these people, but Jesus has, has, a, has a brilliant way of showing us our true hearts. And the hearts of these men were callous to the truths of the scriptures. Jesus exposes their hearts by artful questioning and bringing us back to scripture. Okay, so what else did these guys get wrong? First, they got wrong the resurrection. They were flat out wrong, and Jesus uses Exodus 3.6 to tell them, no, actually, God is, God is living, and those that followed him are living, and, 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 and so we see eternity at play already. But they also got marriage wrong. They present a story to Jesus about marriage, but it's really not 100% about marriage. It's more in a way to show Jesus that 
here's a really silly thing that would have happened. If, if this really silly thing had happened, what's the implications for the resurrection? This has got to be silly, Jesus. The situation that they were citing here is called um, levirate marriage. Okay, this is an ancient custom uh, that's designed to preserve marital, uh, uh, sorry, material inheritance to a man who dies without children. So it's a way to kind of keep, keep the goods flowing, okay? In reality, commentaries and scholars say that, that leveret marriage, it, it, was, it was in the law, but it wasn't actually really followed. It was one of those things, I'm sure we have laws like that. I was trying to think of some, something, but I'm sure we have things like that, like legal codes and things that are just so outdated that nobody really pays attention to them anymore. Um, but more important here is, is what the Sadducees imply, Okay, and this gets back to why they were wrong about marriage. They ask, whose wife will she be? Meaning, in the resurrection, who owns this woman in marriage? It's all about possession for them. It's all about goods and inheritance and possession. Women were, were not seen and respected correctly here. They were very much more like property or a means to secure material and generational possession. So the implications of the, this question to Jesus draws us to see that the Sadducees were most concerned with possession and themselves. They missed the real meaning of marriage, let alone that marriage doesn't exist in the resurrection, to them, to, but to them it wasn't real anyway. And they missed this because they failed to understand, again, they under, failed to understand the scriptures, and they failed to understand the power of God. Commentator R.T. France writes that the production of an heir was the only sort of resurrection of the dead brother that their theology allowed. I think, that's, I think that's beautiful. I'm going to read that again. France writes that the production of an heir was the only sort of resurrection of the dead brother that their theology allowed. Again, they weren't concerned with eternity. They didn't, they didn't believe in the spiritual world. They, they, took, they took a beautiful God-created institution of marriage, which is meant to draw us nearer to God, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, and his love for us, and they twisted it into selfish gain. But as I said at the beginning, let's, let's be careful not to knock these guys too hard. I want us to be really honest with ourselves. We see the failings of the Sadducees, right? But do you ever find yourself trying to convince yourself out of spiritual matters because something that you've encountered or experienced just doesn't make any sense? Have you ever based your, your earthly decisions or convictions on the things of this world and the security here in this world and not in the life to come, if you're a believer in Christ? Do you ever spend up time and energy storing up treasures on earth that, as Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19, will be destroyed by moth and rust, stolen by thieves? How about, when's the last time you've doubted the power of God? Or maybe glanced over something that it says in Scripture because it was either so unbelievable or so very inconvenient to understand and actually 
do. I'll be the first to admit, friends, <laughs> I'm guilty of doing, having done all of these things. So let us, not, let us not be blind to our own shortcomings. Now, the Sadducees may have had poor motives, yes, but they do come to Jesus, don't they? They ask him questions. Now, don't ever miss how Jesus receives questioning. He's always there for questions, and he always listens. So no matter how dark our sin is, how matter, no matter how twisted our motives are, go to Jesus with questions. Jesus can deal with your unbelief. Jesus can deal with your sarcasm. Jesus can deal with your anger. Just read some Psalms, okay? Jesus can deal with those things. Come to him in question, and he will take your earthly, twisted question and turn it into something beautiful. Now, unfortunately, we don't see what happens to the Sadducees after this meeting. Maybe some of them turned to follow Jesus. Maybe some of them were like, I want to follow him now. We do know that the crowd was astonished. So my prayer for you and I today is that we bring our questions to Jesus because he will answer us. Now, well, I'm just splashed here. Um, now, the Sadducees were off theologically, okay? <clears throat> but from every other position, they, they looked like the religious, righteous people. They dressed the right way. They obeyed the law. They knew scripture by heart. Because that's another warning for us that be careful. Just because we go to church, maybe we say the right things or listen to the right podcasts, does not mean our heart is transformed in following Jesus. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. So these supposedly godly religious people are still lacking one thing. A really big thing. I mentioned it earlier. Does anybody remember um, what I said earlier? What's the one huge thing that the Sadducees lacked in order to put their in order to put scripture in motion in their lives. Anybody remember? What's the one thing that they lacked? Faith. I think I heard it over here somewhere. Remember our big ideas this morning are that the Sadducees are wrong because they lacked the faith in the scriptures. They lacked the faith in the power of God to transcend this earth and point us to the life to come. Okay, so for the rest of our time this morning, I want us to take a look at how we can learn from Jesus in this story and how we can be transformed, not just in, informed, but transformed. Okay, so two big takeaways that I want us to leave with today are that as Christians, if you are a Christ follower here today, we are called to live a life of faith. So if you're jotting that down, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, that's what Christian means, Christ follower. If you are a Christian today, we are called to live a life of faith. We live in faith that God says who he said, that God is who he says he is. The Sadducees were full of knowledge. They could recite all the things that they needed to recite, but, but truth only gets you so far. They lacked faith. Faith is what pushes us into action. 
Now, some of you know, who know me a little bit know that I was once an avid rock climber. Um, I've spent hours and hours, hundreds of feet off the ground, and there's, there's, there's a moment that you, you have to know your gear. You have to have faith and trust in your gear. You have to know that it's rated to a certain amount of pounds and that the rope is going to not break. And objectively, I could ascend to the truth that my harness was going to not rip and the rope was not going to snap. But it takes a little bit of faith to get off the ground, especially when you're hundreds of feet up. Sometimes when you're doing multi-pitch climbs, I don't know if you know that term, but it's just like one rope length and then somebody comes up and then you do a next rope length. Sometimes you, you get on a rock face where you can't see your partner. That's really fun. Um, so I have faith that I've climbed with this person a hundred times and I know that they know what to do and that I know, I know what to do and that my gear is going to hold, but it takes a little bit of faith to continue going. Knowing objectively that everything's going to be okay only gets you so much. Faith gets you off the ground. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The life of a Christian takes faith. We are called to be in this world, yes, but be living towards eternity. Christians are people that have one foot in the present and one foot in the supernatural unseen realm. We believe things that we cannot see and we currently don't have a framework for yet. We have faith and we trust that Jesus says who he says he is and even more, okay, that he's infinitely better than anything that we have a concept for understanding today. Because he is God, and because he dwells in the heavenly realm, it's towards this heavenly realm that, as you and I who are Christ followers, we are inching towards and walking towards each day and catching glimpses of each day. And eternity will be, as people of faith, we believe eternity will be infinitely better than anything that you can imagine or hope for. Does that get anybody excited? If we're heading towards eternity with Almighty God, the things of this world will be made new again. You and I will be made new again. There will be no um, sin, there will be no sickness, there will be no anxiety and depression and anger. It will all be perfect. So we need to be people of faith who are heading in a direction. Now, the Sadducees were missing their understanding of Scripture, and they were missing their understanding of the power of God. So let's, let, let us, who are Christ followers here today, be people of faith and know and study and cherish the Scriptures. We don't want to miss what it says like the Sadducees did. And then have faith to believe in the power of God. We are committed to the word here at Terranova Church and to have faith that it, it has the power to change us. That the love of God in, in every word of every page is this book to us, the Bible. We see and experience his power and we have faith in the power of God. Now some of you who, who maybe are, are new to the faith, maybe you haven't been following Jesus that long, you, you might be, or you've never followed Jesus, you might say, what, what are you talking about this power of God? I've never really experienced this. Just take a, take a drive today. 
go north and take a look at the beautiful scenery. Romans 1.20, the Apostle Paul declares that God's power is so obviously on display that none of us is without excuse to understand God's power in all things. And, and if you and I would take a, take a minute to put our phones down and look further than our noses, we will see in the world, we will see in people that God's power is on display and his hand is in all things. And another essential piece for us as Christ followers as we have faith in the scriptures and faith in the power of God is that we need each other. We need each other to bolster and encourage our faith. We need to bear witness and testify of the power of God in our lives. Hebrews 12 talks about this great cloud of witnesses. Let us be surrounded by a cloud of witnesses proclaiming God's power. That's why we stress intimate community here so much. Our tribes or our small groups are places where we can gather and we can grow deeper with each other and give testimony to what God is doing in our lives. Recently, uh, we've had a couple Sundays where we've done just that. We've shared testimony with people in our church. People have gotten up and talked about what God is doing in their lives, the power of God speaking through and showing up in their lives. We did last year, um, we also did uh, a, a, a video um, initiative called Terra Stories. We would love to keep doing that where we captured on video God doing powerful things in our lives and sharing it with others. If you have something today, friends, I'm, I'm off script here, if you have something that the Lord is doing or has done in your life that's impactful, we want to hear about it. We want you to be able to share that and we can find a good platform for you to do that. Email Daniel um, or myself. We would love to help Share your story so as to encourage the body with the power of God, the transforming power of, the God, of God. Psalm 107, 2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you are redeemed here today, you have a story to tell. So we must be, as Christians, takeaway one is we must be people of faith. Second, final takeaway, and we'll, we'll start drawing to a close here, is that as Christ followers, we must live for the eternal kingdom of God here and now. So we live for an eternal reality in the here and now. Now Jesus came to, as he said, to usher in the kingdom of God. The Sadducees and the Pharisees and teachers of the law missed this because they lacked faith, yes, but they were also living for their own temporary earthly kingdoms. As Christ followers, we are called to submit to Christ as our King and Lord, and to labor with him, alongside him, sharing the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, as we look forward to eternity, that those that put their hope in Christ will be resurrected or raised with Christ. Now, contrary to some popular belief, as at least it was my belief growing up, that we're not going to be these, in the resurrection, we're not going to be these disembodied orbs floating in the air in kind of a new dimension. Jesus says that he's going to heal and restore what is broken. When you restore a piece of furniture, you don't throw it in the garbage and build a new piece of furniture. You, you restore, you bring new life. You make it new, you make it beautiful again. 
He's going to raise our dead bodies. He's going to heal our broken earth. He's going to restore what he made and said was very good. God did not make any mistakes creating this world and creating us, but sin has twisted our understanding and it is, and has wreaked havoc in the world. But we as his followers can find the good that Jesus ushered in with his kingdom and, and we can point people to the goodness of this world. We can point people to his eternal kingdom that is to come. I'm reading a book right now called Broken Signposts by N.T. Wright. Um, I highly recommend this book. He looks at seven different um, universal and kind of innate themes that you and I all understand and interact with on a daily basis. And these things, he says, can be signposts or point us towards the kingdom of God. But because of sin, these things have been bent and crooked and distorted. So things like love, justice, beauty, spirituality, freedom, truth, power. These are all things that you and I are well acquainted with. So in our lives, are, are we living for God's kingdom and pro- being proclaimers of God's kingdom in the ways that we express love? Are we pointing to the kingdom in the ways that we pursue justice? Are we pointing to the kingdom in the way that we create and interact with beauty Are we kingdom-minded with the causes that we get behind for freedom? These are aspects that God created in us. And they are all good. But all too quickly, we can usurp these things for our own glory and our own selfish intent. But as Christians today, we need to be people of faith, yes, and we need to be people that are living for the kingdom that is here and now and is to come, and to labor with Jesus and be working to show people and point people to the kingdom. One way that this story um, talks about, and one example that I want to use, is marriage, It is mentioned in the passage. I didn't really talk much about marriage because it's not really what this passage is about. However, we can use it as an object lesson here as we close. Marriage is a great example because it's something that's designed by God to point us to something more. Ephesians 5 teaches us that marriage is, is really about The ultimate marriage of Christ and his church. That will happen at the end of all things when Jesus completes his plan for restoring all things. In marriage, out of love, we submit to one another. We sacrifice ourselves for one another. We would would become one flesh, deeply intimate with each other and whole. This is all pointing us to a greater and deeper reality. It's not a one-dimensional thing. Not just for this world. Now, marriage is not mandatory, okay? Marriage is not always great. Marriages fail to the brokenness in in, in the world sometimes. But at its best, okay, marriage is a loving, mutually submission uh, relationship where intimacy and love cause us to think more about somebody else than ourselves. There is shared work, there is shared vision, there is shared recreation, and there's friendship. 
But as I said, marriage is really a picture that in it we can see eternity at play. There's a reason why the church is called, in Scripture, the church is called the Bride of Christ. Jesus will one day be physically and wholly united or married to his people in intimacy and harmony forever. We can start preparing for that now and seeing that in a deeper way through marriage. Now, I'll be honest, when I read this passage initially and when I, read, when I had read this in the past, I didn't like this passage. It kind of graded me the wrong way. I'm like, what, what do you mean, Jesus? There's not going to be marriage in heaven? And I kind of tended to avoid this passage. I was like, that's no good. I don't like the sound of that. You're saying that something good like my marriage with Jessamine will end at some point? All this work, all this sacrifice, all this built-up trust and love, this will all cease. But like the Sadducees, I was kind of missing the point. Marriage is something, among lots of other things, that points us to the goodness of God's kingdom.